0: Alright, good morning everyone. I have the privilege to uh, introduce one of my professors at RTS. Uh, he, he's just an amazing man that I got to just listen to him and just so much wisdom and, uh, you know, he's like a manly man too. So it was just fun uh, hearing him, uh, you know, teach and things like that and you, you guys are in for just a wonderful treat this morning. Uh, he's just a, a wonderful uh, man of God, and hopefully you can talk to him. Um, but yeah, let's give him a warm welcome uh, as he comes out to preach for us.
1: Thank you. It is good to be here today. And uh, I understand your, your lead pastor sits a lot of times when he teaches, right? I asked him if it was okay to move around, and he said, use the whole stage if you want to. So I may move around a little bit, and uh, but I, I, it really is a privilege to be here. When I first saw you, Albert, you said, do you know where you are uh, on this side of Orlando? And I really didn't. I've never been over this far before. It's a beautiful area, a great place to be over here. And I enjoy your pastor and uh, our emails, and I look forward to meeting him face-to-face. And Albert, you are an incredible uh, student and uh, you only have one more year to go, right? And uh, that's all. It's uh, it's a marathon, but uh, great, great. Gene, thank you for your leadership this morning as well. It really is. A pr- I'm the oldest guy in this room. Isn't that cool? Well, I, I go home and tell my wife, she'll be surprised. She'll say, you're that much older than all of them. And I, Yeah, it's great, but it's great to be here. And um, and and today uh i'm going to pick up in a sense where you've been in a series haven't you all summer and it's a series in the psalms a series in the psalms and so summer psalms and so i'm going to be picking up in psalm 22 <clears throat> so if you have your bibles take them out and if you don't that's okay uh, I, I believe it will be up here and uh and i'll be reading that in a minute but let me tell you something about psalm 22 because and 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 Now, tell me real quick what you call Pastor David. Pastor D.L., do you call him? What do you all call him? D.L., you just call him D.L.? All right. Or Pastor, or Sir, or... Yeah, right, okay. DL's done... He showed me the Psalms that he's picked, and they've been excellent, excellent Psalms. And so when I asked him which one he wanted me to preach from, he said, whatever one you want to. And when I said Psalm 22, he said, excellent. Psalm 22 is one of those psalms that the church has called a messianic psalm. A messianic psalm. What do you think that means? Well, real quick, a messianic psalm is a message, uh, is a psalm that when you look at it, you cannot miss the Messiah, Jesus. And as we read this psalm, you're going to see Jesus in this psalm. You can't miss Jesus. But I want you to know there's a big controversy among Christian teachers all over the world about psalm 22 some say psalm 22 was written by king david but it has nothing to do with his own life in other words uh, it's almost a prophecy in the sense that david was taken over by the holy spirit and he wrote these words down and they completely speak about jesus so it's in that sense almost a prophecy. Now there's other Bible teachers who say, no, Psalm 22 was David's experience. But but Jesus adopted this psalm so much that it was on his lips when he was on the cross. You guys in the band did a great job. Thank you. And the, uh, not only did you lead us well in worship, but you picked great songs to go along with Psalm 22 that talks so much about the grace of our Lord. And so you say, well, what is Psalm 22? What's your view? Is Psalm 22 a prophecy of Jesus or is Psalm 22 David's experience that Jesus applied? Here, you ready for the answer? I don't know. I don't know. The church is so divided uh, and our great scholars are divided over it. So, But, but this is where I'm going to go. I'm going to say that Psalm 22 was in some way David's experience. But Jesus adopted it so that on the cross, these words, many of these words were on his lips while he was on the cross with us. Now, the theme is this, innocence sufferers. Psalm 22 is about innocent sufferers. And we're going to talk about it. Let's, let me pray real quick and then let's read this text. Our great Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for your word that you wrote it down, that we could look at it over and over and over again, that we could hear the message, and mostly that it could lead us to Jesus. And we pray now that you would do that as we read this word. Lord, forgive the one who teaches, forgive him his sins. We need Jesus, and we come to you right now in his name, asking for clarity. In Christ's name, amen. All right, you ready? Psalm 22, here it is. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out day, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and am not silent. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. And you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But but I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet... You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. You ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you were suffering and nobody understood you? That's what David's talking about. Then he says in verse 12, Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Well, I'm not going to comment on that too much, but have you ever been surrounded by bulls with horns and they were mad? Neither have I. But could you imagine it? Could you imagine being surrounded by an angry bull who could gore? Have you ever seen those guys run with the bulls in Spain? Are they crazy or what? Why would you do that test of manhood? Okay, I get that. I still think they're crazy. David felt like these bulls were surrounded. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan, encircle me, roaring lions tearing their play, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast my lots for my clothing. Do you see Jesus there? But you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life, From the power of the dogs, rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the sufferings of the afflicted one. He's not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry from help. This is a long psalm, isn't it? You with me? A couple more verses. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord And He rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve Him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn. For He has done it. The Hebrew can be translated... It is finished. The words of our Lord. Powerful words. Now this, sub, this, this is a big passage about innocence suffering. And I have to ask you the question from the outgo. As we start about this at the very beginning. Is there really. And when it comes to suffering. Is there any, any real sense in which there is a true innocent person on planet earth? What do you think? Talk to me. Are there any innocents on planet Earth? Some say no. Some say yes. Some say he's setting me up. You know, theologically speaking, biblically speaking, right, if we want to be theologically accurate, and I have to because a theological student is sitting in the front row here. When it comes to suffering, there are no innocent people on planet Earth, right? Because, Because we're all sinners, aren't we? And so the Bible gives a universal teaching about us as sinners. It tells us in Romans 3, for instance, uh, Paul is saying, are we any better than the the Gentiles? No. God says we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Everybody's a sinner on the planet, right? Y'all agree with me on that? That's right. Romans 5.12 says that we were born as descendants of Adam, And so we were born sinners. And I can tell you, I have three children. Joel is 28. John is 26. And my daughter, Jessie, the warrior princess, we call her, because she was raised with these older brothers. Um, They are wonderful, and I love them. I love them. But I saw sin even when they were very, very young. Joel, our oldest, was born telling us what to do. And I said, where did he get this? He was born a sinner. And Psalm 51.5, David the king, after he had sinned terribly with Bathsheba and killing Bathsheba's first husband, he tries to make sense of it, of why he could do such a bad thing, even though David was a man after God's heart, wasn't he? He said this. He said, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And so... Are there any truly innocent people on planet Earth? No. We're all sinners. That's why we need a Savior, right? That's why Jesus had to come. Because there's nobody truly innocent. And that's why you're in Ecuador. A whole group of you are in Ecuador. Because they need Jesus down there. And our brother went down there on the mission trip. And Albert told me the story of Tico's life. And I know that this, uh, this is suffering. And in a very real sense... Being in a mission field, he gave his life for for a very worthy cause. Because people need to know about Jesus. So there's no truly innocent people on the planet, and we all need a Savior. And a lot of times we suffer for our own sins, don't we? Have you ever suffered for something that you did, but you did something wrong and you deserve to be punished? I have. Let me tell you something. Never do this, okay? Okay. This is where I suffered this past week. You ready? I was late for a meeting on Monday morning, last Monday morning. There was a lot of traffic. I was behind a slow driver, and I was listening to audio adrenaline on high on my radio. I was late to a meeting, and I was listening to this incredibly jacked-up Christian music. And I was going 60 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone. And I met with an officer from the Longwood Police Department. And he gave me a ticket. And because everything else was in order, he said, I'm cutting this down from $350 to $160. Thank you. Thank you. But I suffered for something I did, right? And I deserved it, right? Well, my wife said I did. And so the reality is, is that strictly speaking, there are no innocent people on the planet and we suffer for what we often do wrong ourselves. Now, let me ask you another question. Is there any way that we can say that people suffer innocently? Can we say that in any way? And my answer to that is yes. Because even though everybody is a sinner on the planet, Other sinners sometimes hurt us, don't they? And we really didn't do anything to deserve it. And so we might say that there is a sense, biblically speaking, in which there are innocent sufferers, where where ungodly people, evil people, do something to you, and you really didn't deserve it. Uh, And that's important. That's what David is talking about in this particular psalm. You've, uh, you no doubt have um, been following what's gone on in Colorado with the shootings out there. Did, did relatively innocent people die? Yes, they did. They didn't do anything. They were at a movie. You said, well, they shouldn't have been at a movie. You know, the reality is, is that a lot of time, relatively innocent people suffer. You heard the story of Job. How many of you read Job? Anybody read Job? Wow, the whole book is about suffering in some sense, isn't it? Have you ever heard anybody ever say, oh, I just admire the patience of Job? Ah, the patience of Job. You ever heard that statement? Maybe not. Job's patience lasted two chapters. And then he was impatient the rest of the book. And you know why? Because he knew that all that happened to him was way beyond what he did wrong. He didn't do anything really wrong to deserve it. And so in this psalm, David is asking the question, what do we do when somebody who is innocent suffers? What do you do? He answers us and he models this. And it's very, very helpful to see what he says to us in verses 1 through 21. And I have, there's an outline there for you. If you want to write down the notes, that's fine. But you will not be tested on this afterwards. Uh, Albert, aren't you glad about that? Um, what do you do? David says, if you are an innocent who suffers, well, here's what he says. He says, complain and pray. Really? Yeah, look at this. Complain and pray. That's exactly what he does. And if you have your Bibles, you can open that up and look at it. But he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt like you suffered unjustly and that God was not listening to you? You prayed, but you didn't get an immediate answer. Why have you forsaken me? Um, God, I'm groaning. I cry out day by day, but you do not answer. By night... You seem so silent. Sometimes we pray and we don't hear, it seems, God's voice. And then down in verses 6, he says, I'm a worm and not a man scorned by men, despised by other people. Notice what David is modeling for us in this psalm that was sung in church in Israel. He's modeling complaining to God. some of us think it's never okay to complain. At least our parents told us that, right? You have it so much better than people in other countries. Stop your complaining. Um, And I was raised not liking to complain. Some people have the gift of whining. You know, they're always whining. They're always complaining. But here, David says that it's okay. Actually, the technical Old Testament expression is lament. He's lamenting. He's pouring out his deep grief to God. That's okay to do as Christians. In fact, it's absolutely necessary to do. Why? Because what David does is he models here how to be honest and authentic in our relationship with God. Now, a lot of times as a pastor, I was a senior pastor of a church for 30 years. I started a church uh, 25 years ago here in Orlando. I was a pastor five years before I got here. So I love being with you guys, this new church. And it reminds me of the first years when we started our church. Um, but as a pastor, I want to tell you sometimes what, what is my tendency when people come up and they say, Pastor, how are you doing? My answer right away is good because I'm a pastor, right? And pastors are always doing good. We never have any trials. We never suffer. We're never tired, right? Sometimes we, pastors, you know, sometimes when people ask me how I'm doing, I say, you know, really, I'm really tired right now. And I don't feel like preaching today. Now, I did today, but some Sunday mornings, some of my deacons would say, How do you feel? I'm tired. I'm sick. Mostly, I try not to whine and complain. But David says there is a time when you suffer unjustly. Because there have been times as a pastor when I've stepped up in front of my congregation and frankly, several people out in the church were mad at me. And it didn't feel comfortable standing up there. And I had enemies like David had enemies. But I love how he honestly pours his heart out to God. Don't you? You can do this. You can do this. You have to do it. And in the midst of suffering, particularly when you didn't cause it, pour out your heart to God. Tell Him. And that's what builds a relationship. Guys, sometimes we want to be tough. We want to be men, real men, right? And so I talked I to talk the seminarians. I used to pick on the seminarian, his class. If any of the guys in Albert's class wore a particular color. I picked on him, right, Albert? And I said, that's not a color a guy wears. We laughed. They laughed at me. But sometimes, guys, we try to be so manly and so tough that we won't even pour out our hearts to God. And we need to because we're his sons and he cares. And it's okay. Yesterday, I went scalloping in the Gulf of Mexico. Ever, got, ever gone scalloping out in the Gulf of Mexico? You go after those uh, little scallops, only about seven feet of water. We took our friends, Rob and Kelly Brower. Their son, Nate, was the same age as my daughter when, well, they knew each other from kindergarten all the way up. When he was 17, he died. And I really, Rob and Kelly were in our church, but I didn't know them very well. We've become friends through the grieving process. So they went out with us yesterday. And we had fun out in the Gulf of Mexico, out in the water. We had fun diving in the water and on the way back. Because, you know, when you lose a child, it's as you know here. And Albert, you told me the story today. It's, it's a great deal of suffering. And I said, Rob, how are you doing? And um I call him up a lot of times on Monday morning because I, I know that's his weak time. I say, Rob, how you doing this morning? And he'll say, terrible. Awful. It's okay. I'm praying for you. Pour your heart out to God. It's okay. Yesterday I said, Rob, how you doing? He said, It's been a good day. It's been fun being out here with you. It's good. And then he said, you know, people say they, they, they. They admire me for my faith in God. Suffering is the number one reason why people walk away from God, why Christians walk away from God. Long periods of intense suffering is the number one reason why people walk away from Christ. Don't you do that. Rob said to me, he said, I'm doing okay, but Pete, where am I going to go? If I walk away from Jesus, where am I going to go in my suffering? It reminded me of what the disciples said. Lord, where should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so what David does is he models here for us that even in the midst of suffering, it's okay to complain to God. And then he tells us to wait on him. I love this. Because even in complaining to God, who's he thinking about? God. See, when you're complaining to me, what can I do about it? Lord, please don't let them complain anymore. Lord, please take care of them. But when you're complaining to God, what are you thinking about? God. And that's what David does. He goes, look, look what he does in, in this verse, uh, in verse 6. He, he complains, and then in verse 6 he says, Yet, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel and you, our fathers did put their trust. So when you complain to God, then David starts thinking about God, but God, you've taken care of us all these years. And then he complains again, but I'm a worm and not a man. Uh, And then in verse nine, he says, yet, yet you brought me out of the womb all my life. You've been protecting me, God. I love this. Then he complains some more. And then in verse 19, he says, but Lord You've been my strength. Don't be far off. And so David models for us in the midst of suffering that we didn't deserve, that what we get to do is we get to complain to God and then look at God and wait and pray and bring our suffering to God and let him deal with it. It takes time. The more intense your suffering, a lot of you are, are real young and you say, I don't get this. I've met you, you're 12. You're as cute as can be. I love that. She's cute. as I I want another daughter, okay? So uh, I'm taking you home with me. Uh, and some of you are so young, you say, I've never suffered this much. Wait, just wait. You will. But I love this psalm because in the midst of this psalm, We see that these words really were on the Lord's lips, weren't they? Because on the cross, and you can look at this later in Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, 35, it says this. Matthew says, and when they crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots. You remember that, don't you? That was from Psalm 22, where David said, they're just taking my stuff. And then in in Matthew 25, 27, 39, And those passing by were hurling abuse at him while Jesus was on the cross, wagging their heads. You're a bad sinner or you wouldn't be on that cross. That came out of Psalm 22. That was David's experience. Uh, Verse 43, he trusts in God. Let him deliver him now if he takes pleasure in him for he said, I'm the son of God. That's from Psalm 22. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. Did Jesus know why God forsook him? Did Jesus know? See, in Psalm 22, David felt forsaken. But on the cross, Jesus was forsaken. And he was forsaken... By God, so that you and I could have our sins paid for. That's grace. Did we deserve it? No. And so there really is this teaching. Dr. Mark Furtado at Reformed Seminary believes that, that these words were on Jesus' lips. Psalm 22 was on Jesus' thoughts when he was on the cross, being willing to be forsaken For you, Maybe he was even singing the whole thing. So when you suffer unjustly, complain and pray, wait and trust. But he tells us one other thing, and then we're done. I was told I could preach for an hour and a half. Is that okay? She says, yeah. You're sweet. You get three free sins, and then you can... (laughs) All right. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. When you suffer unjustly, complain and pray, wait and trust. But then he says rejoice, and worship. I love this. Verse 22, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. All you descendants of Israel. It's interesting, in the last part of this psalm, What David does is he looks ahead to the time when he is vindicated. You know what that word means? It means when others say, I came after you, I, I made you suffer, I hurt you, and I am sorry. I was wrong. He was vindicated. He was suffering unjustly. And you know what? There are a lot of times in this world where people will hurt you. And they will call friends at school, turn on you, talk about you behind your back. And then sometimes, sometimes they'll come back to you and they'll say, I'm sorry. And you've been vindicated. I have to say, I've tried to be a good pastor. And what I try to tell my students in seminary is that you will develop enemies. And and it's hard. When people that were your friends become your enemies. But you know what? I've had people come back to me and they've said, "Pete, I was wrong. I'm sorry." It was so good. It's great. I go home and I say, "Honey, guess what? We had a family leave our church and they were mad at me." And 15 years they came back. 15 years later they came back. And they said, "We should never have left. We were wrong." I was dancing. I was dancing in the aisle. I I was thinking I was speeding on the way home then too. I was so excited. Sometimes vindication happens, but you know, this is important to understand that sometimes you will not be vindicated in this life. That's why Robert Lewis definition of manhood, guys, this is really important um, um, for men in particular, but for all of us, what is a real man? You need to have a definition of manhood. You guys, a real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, but catch this, expects the greater reward. In other words, we follow Jesus, and sometimes sometimes it hurts. Paul was suffering. He, he followed Jesus, didn't he? And he was thrown in jail. Peter, all the apostles probably died for their faith. They were doing the right thing, and they weren't vindicated in this life but they were vindicated in the life to come. Sometimes that's the way it is. But but David says, sometimes there is a vindication in this life and people come back and when when they say they're sorry, when it was shown that you really didn't deserve the suffering you had to undergo, then what do you do? Bring it back to the church and say, look what God did. That's what David says. He says, I'm going to proclaim it in the church and you guys have house churches, don't you? It's a big part of what you do. It's where you share life. It's where you pray for each other. It's where you say, hey, so-and-so at work is against me. Pray for me. I'm dealing with a difficult situation. And then you come back when you're vindicated and you say, guess what? Guess what? I got the promotion even though so-and-so was opposed to me. Even though they criticized me. And what does it do? What happens? It lends it leads us all to the worship of God who is involved in our lives. Does he see what you're going through, guys? Does he know? Does he care? He really does. He does. He's a good father. Uh, and so what an amazing thing it is when we see that what David calls us to do is to rejoice and worship and when we're vindicated in this life as he was vindicated. And it bleeds praise and honor and glory to God when he works things out for us. Now, with this, and then I'm done, I want to tell you that in Hebrews chapter 2, this psalm is also quoted, Psalm 22, is quoted, and in in Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, We see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone and bringing many sons to glory. It was fitting that God for whom the for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation. Perfect through suffering both the one who makes men holy. That's Jesus and those who are made holy by the, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. What does Jesus call you? He calls you brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. That's the congregation in heaven. Guys, what is incredible is that this psalm where David says, after you're vindicated, bring the praises back to the congregation and God will be worshiped because of how you've been vindicated. Jesus says, Because I have gone to the cross for you and paid for your sins. You are now my family. And in heaven, I'm walking around with a shout saying, those are my brothers. Those are my sisters. Praise God for them. What an amazing psalm. So here, I'm going to wrap it up. When you suffer unjustly, and nobody's perfect here, right? When you suffer unjustly, is it okay to worship? Is it okay to complain a little bit? Yeah, to Him, and to others, and to your friends. Wait and trust, pray, and give it to Him. And remember that Jesus has paid for all of your sins and loves you, and His grace is sufficient for you. He models what to do with this. When you're vindicated, bring it all back. Bring it all back to the church and let it worship God. This is an outreach church. Suffering is a time not only where we can come together, but where we can reach into the lives of the people around us who are suffering. And your friends sometimes going through really tough times, like with their parents. Of course, my kids never struggled with us. We were all perfect parents. Why are you laughing? There's no such thing as a perfect parent. But as your friends struggle with their parents or as they struggle with work or they suffer, as you suffer, as your friends suffer, you can move into their life and bring them Jesus, can't you? The perfect opportunity to do that. They might grow cynical of you, but you can turn to them anyway. Because of the cross of Christ, suffering can really be transformed. You might be vindicated in this life, but you will be in the life to come when you suffer unjustly. And when you get home, the Lord Jesus, who has been shouting your name up there already, is going to embrace you. And by His grace, He's going to say, thank you for suffering for me. I was willing to suffer for you. And now you're home. You might be innocent sometimes in suffering, but God knows and He sees. And he cares, and as you sang and led us in singing this morning, His love never runs out on us. Don't ever forget that. You take it to heart, and let me pray briefly right now, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your cross. We thank you. We thank you for speaking through David, in a sense, showing us how we can come to you honestly and build an honest relationship with you. And Lord, we just thank you for David's honest relationship and how it points to you on the cross, Jesus, that you paid for all of our sins. So, Lord, now we give you our lives. We give you this week, and we ask that even if we suffer, that you would lead us to trust you. Be the one that sets us free in the midst of difficult times in life. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people, and I pray you'd bless them. for well, we pray these things in your strong name, Lord Jesus. Amen..
0: Hi, for those who don't know me, my name is Mimi. And this is my testimony. Okay. Um, I can truly say that the trip to to the Dominican Republic changed my life. Not only did it teach me to live with a sense of urgency, but it also taught me how to worship. On our second day, um, we went into a nearby village to gather up kids for a small VBS in the morning. As we walked deeper into the neighborhood, we saw a mass of people standing on a hill. A few of our translators decided to check out what was happening. Just as they were walking back to us, we saw two men carry a corpse wrapped in a white bag. When our translators came to us, they told us that a young child drowned in the nearby river the past day. We were shocked. During our team's debriefing time later that night, we shared our thoughts on what happened. Many of us thought, why would God ruin our trip with an accident like this? But as the days wore on, I realized that everything happens for a reason. It was all in God's plan. I also realized that I needed to live with a sense of urgency. Seeing a young child pass away isn't easy, but it shows us that life is short. Maybe that kid knew Jesus Christ, maybe he didn't. We need to be urgent. A life could be taken any second, so why waste time and let an opportunity pass? I learned that I needed to take advantage of the time we had, and I wanted to give the kids in DR everything I could before it was too late. Something that I'm grateful for um, was learning how to worship. It was amazing seeing Dominicans, young and old, worshiping God with all their hearts. Even little kids lifted their hands, shouting words of praise. I felt ashamed that I didn't have that kind of fire. I felt awkward and unholy in a sense. Um, they had so little to be grateful for, yet they gave everything during their times of worship. As the trip continued, I slowly opened and loosened up. I could lift my hands without feeling feeling judged or awkward, I, and I started paying more attention to the words that came out of my mouth. I love my team. Uh, I don't know what I would have done without them. I got to know them more and more as the days were on. Um, I quickly learned that waking up G1 every morning was an impossible task and that Josh was actually really good with kids. Um, Our team shared moments of anger, confusion, and uncontrollable laughter. Um, Although we had a couple of rough spots, we got past them. At the end of the day, my team was always there for me. I couldn't have asked for a better team. I'm especially thankful for the new people I met during this trip. I never expected to create genuine relationships with the Dominicans, especially the older ladies. With my broken Spanish, I was still able to communicate with them, They would even slow down their words or repeat them, using easier words just to get me to understand. They were patient with me, um, and all of the people were so hospitable and compassionate. They never complained of the heat. They never complained about having to cook for more than 100 people. They never complained about not living in the best conditions. I was extremely blessed by the people, times of fellowship in VBS, and rain showers. This trip made me realize how much I take advantage of. I never thank God for the small things in my life, like running water, clean drinking water, or even a family with both parents. Um, I want to thank everyone who lifted our team up by prayers. Without prayer, this trip wouldn't be possible. Um, Diarna holds a special place in my heart. I hope to go again in the future, and I hope that you'll consider it too. Thank you.
2: Daniel, <coughs> and um, this is my DR testimony. Uh, so, this was my first mission trip, and I can honestly say that it was an experience of a lifetime. Uh, going into the trip, I was a melting pot of emotions. I was nervous and scared, but at the same time, excited and happy to go. Uh, right when we arrived, I didn't see much difference from what we saw in Orlando, but once we drove into the church area, I was completely shocked. <laughs> The environment was so different from what I was used to. I felt like It felt like something that you could only see in the movies. Uh, there were houses made of of planks of wood and sheets of metal. Uh, seeing this made me really scared and nervous uh, that I would never be able to survive in an environment like this. Uh, eventually, I got used to constantly sweating, not being able to shower for a few days, and just feeling conjunct, conjunct all the time. Um, this, through the times of worship, VBS, and manual labor, I was able to see what God uh, wanted me to learn from my time in the DR. Watching the Dominicans sing praises at the top of their lungs with their hands raised high and seeing their relentless commitment to prayer encouraged me and made me want to have that kind of passion in my own spiritual life. Even though they have so little compared to us here in the States, uh, they find complete and utter satisfaction and joy in worshiping God. Also, seeing how much they serve with what little they had um, made me think of made me think of how little I serve with the plethora of things God has provided me with. Uh, the times of VBS taught me to be patient and showed me true gratefulness. The kids were loud and rambunctious many times. I wanted to yell at them, but I know God wanted me to show the kids patience. And seeing how much the kids love something as simple as a piece of paper cut into a form of a shield showed me how ungrateful I was. Uh, the times of manual labor gave me a chance to serve the Dominicans, But even in this time, I was able to see just how amazing God is. Um, Pastor Jose was one man in particular that constantly served by painting and doing other manual labor. And yet he never looked for praise or commendation from other people. Although he may not know it, uh, he taught me how humbling the power of God's love is. The primary objective of our trip to the DR was to serve the people there and spread the word of God. But like many people have said before me, I felt like I received so much more than I gave. Before going, uh, before going to DR sometimes, I would have doubts whether God was real or not. But after seeing the life-changing power of God, I am convinced that he is real and constantly working. Uh, now moving forward from this trip, I hope to live with a sense of urgency and be committed to him always. Thank you.